Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Down the block, Andrew Jones. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won the grand final. It's got the ball. Jared Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. This morning, I'm lucky enough to bring you part one of our Jackson Hastings interview. Obviously, Jackson Hastings, he left a couple of years ago after a bit of drama over at Manly, and he's arrived over in England, and what he's done over there has been simply incredible. We won't touch on that today. We'll touch on that in part two, but... Part one today is just about Jackson growing up. He grew up in the Illawarra region. He came through the juniors there, uh, was a real superstar at that age. I remember watching him and we sort of talk really honestly. And this is what I respect so much about Jackson Hastings. He's a real polarizing character. And I know a lot of you right now, you don't really like him. You're probably rolling your eyes, me even talking to him. But I'll tell you right now, this is a champion kid who has grown up so much over the last few years, and when he does come back to the NRL, I'm confident he'll be back here in the next two years. I think he's going to do really well. He's a changed man. It's a fantastic rugby league story, and Jackson touches on here, obviously, growing up in the Illawarra, um, you know, he's the son of Kevin Hastings, so coming through with that added pressure and expectation, he talks about how he dealt with all that, talks about his arrival at the Roosters. Uh, He meets up with Trent Robinson in 2013 about joining them, and he talks about Trent Robinson. Obviously, 2013, he went on to win the premiership later that year, but at this point, Trent Robinson, he's just another coach in the NRL. He doesn't have three premierships behind him. He's just got a good resume from over in England, but that's it. So it's really interesting to hear Jackson Hastings talk about him. He talks about his pre-seasons, what he learned from guys like Mitchell Pearce, James Maloney, Sonny Bill Williams, and then we get into his first grade debut against South Sydney where he picks up his card off the bench, he goes to jump on, and he runs into Sam Burgess and... Sam Burgess hits him with a couple of choice words and literally scared the living shit out of him before he jumped on the field. A fantastic chat here, part one with Jackson. This is an interview that I absolutely loved. He changed my opinion on him completely. I appreciate his raw honesty so much. It was really refreshing. Let's kick it off. Scored a try with the curtain going down. 
Jackson Hastings, welcome on. How are we, mate? Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate your um, your time. You give me something to do in this in this weird and wonderful world we live in. Mate, obviously you've come over from England now. You're in a um, you're in a hotel room in Sydney in quarantine. You must be pulling your fucking hair out. <laughs> yeah, it's my last day today, so um, I get out tomorrow afternoon. So I haven't seen my mum and my sisters and my grandfather for um, 13 months. So although I've enjoyed playing and stuff like that, being away from home for that for that amount of time is uh, pretty stressful, mate. So to be locked up for for two weeks and to be finally able to get out tomorrow is, um, you know, I'm so excited and so grateful that I've been able to fly back in time for Christmas and, and see my family. My granddad's quite ill at the moment. Uh, I'm having a lot of heart issues too. So, look, I would probably had the opportunity to stay and have Christmas with my partner and um, she gave me the blessing to come home. Um, she couldn't come over. She's, she's an English citizen and you need to do all this paperwork. So, for her to give me the opportunity to come home and spend it with my, my granddad who, who's ill, um, I'm fully appreciative of and, and can't wait to see him all. Mate, is your grandfather and the rest of the family, are they still in the uh, Wollongong sort of region? Yeah, um, down on the south coast, uh, Warilla. So that's obviously where I was born and raised and and hung out for, for my whole childhood, really. So um, my whole family's there. Um, my mum, my two sisters and my granddad live under the same roof. Um, obviously, as I said, my, my grandfather struggles a little bit with his health at the moment. And, and sadly, my nan passed away a few years ago too. So mum's almost like my granddad's full-time carer. Like he can... He gets around and, and does normal things and stuff like that. But as I said, he struggles with um, his heart and, and sometimes loss of breath and th- things like that too. So uh, my immediate family, mum and sisters, and that made the decision to move in with granddad and, and make sure that his health comes first and, and do everything for him really. So but I'm looking forward to being just surrounded by family for the next month or so and, and just really enjoying being back in the sun and, and on the beach, mate. Has, uh, has your grandfather been keeping track of your uh, career over in England pretty closely? Yeah, mate, of course he has. Um, he should have had open heart surgery, I think, three weeks ago when we played uh, a semi-final against Hull FC and he rang me two nights before and he said, mate, I've put this bloody operation off so you better make the grand final because I told him, oh, I watch you play. <laughs> Bit of pressure. So, yeah, no pressure. I was lucky. I got I played hooker that game. Um, our starting hooker um, got coronavirus and, and missed that week and um, I put my hand up to play hooker and actually got a man in the match too. So, it was quite an emotional sort of time and to be able to get to the grand final and stuff like that, it made staying there worth it and, and making coming home more special too. So, um, yeah, he's, he's definitely kept a close eye on it and, and very proud of what I've been able to achieve. Mate, we'll jump into your uh, your junior career in a moment, but what about that grand final? Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus Christ is probably the best way to describe it. It's just one of them. Um, you know, after the game, it was, it was a weird feeling, mate. The year before when I lost that grand final to the same team, it was just pure raw emotion of like, of heartbreak you you work so hard to get there and um we got beat quite convincingly in the end but this one was just utter shock and disbelief and not not because of the result and because we lost just the way we lost obviously with 10 seconds on the clock a winger comes in has a shot at a field goal from 40 out has the legs hits the upright crossbar bounces back bounces over the crossbar takes a left-hand turn and, and their young center comes and does an acrobatic dive and puts it down to win on the bell like to play in a game like that, the, the such high quality and intensity, physicality was was unbelievable. Like it's shattering that we're on the wrong side of it, but at the same time, um, if you're going to lose and lose like that, there's not much you can really do about it too. So um, proud to be obviously a part of such a big game, but just disappointing that couldn't get over the hump and get my first um, ring. But I don't know if there's anyone I'd want to be less than uh, Bevan French when that ball came off the crossbar. It was just like two bounces from hell, wasn't it? 
And and I I haven't seen Bev get as emotional as what he was. Uh, bless him. You know, he he put a statement out on Instagram that he didn't need to do. He, he pretty much blamed himself for losing when he's pretty much the reason we were there, like at, on grand final day. Um, he was so close to winning Man of Steel. He he took the competition by storm. Obviously, we got a glimpse of that in the NRL, his raw speed, athleticism and, and things like that. But, mate, he just it just took a, a bounce and, and things like that happened. Mate, it's a weird-shaped ball. If it bounces on a point, you, you think it's going right, it goes left. And unfortunately for us and, and Bevan as a team, um, it bounced in their favour. And, and you got to credit um, Jack Wellsby um, from Saints for chasing that ball as hard as he did. You know, there was 13 blokes from both sides on the pitch at the same time and one bloke wanted it the most and, and they ended up getting the results. So, you know, um, I tip my hat to Bev for the way he, he, he tried to take it upon himself to, to own the loss, but it was definitely a team's loss, not his. Jeez, it was a well-struck kick. It looked like, to me, it was never missing. You you, you, you must have almost rathered at the field goal go over than what did happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the weird thing about that is Tommy Makinson, um, he won the Golden Boot a few years ago. He's a winger that kicked it. Um, last year's grand final, Old Trafford, he actually nailed one from the same spot. Um, they were up 22-4, about five to go, and he coming off the wing and on last tackle, and no one kicked questioned him because we didn't know what, what he was doing. Like, mm. he coming off the wings, like Pat Richards style, and... Um, he banged one from 40 out again. And then when he got it again, uh, we had mad kick pressure and he, and he nailed it again. And obviously, uh, the rest is history. But yeah, I probably would have rather he just nailed the field goal. But then at the same time, I would have rather him miss and we miss go an extra point and give ourselves <laughs> a chance to, to kick our own. But um, these things happen. Um, Saints won, we lost and we move forward and we get back into preseason and we, we go again and try and go one better. Mate, take me back to your junior footy. When did you first start playing league? Uh, yeah, I'll take you back. I was a I was a soccer player for a long time. Um, I was one of them kids that was um, pretty small in stature, um, had long blonde curly hair, um, was a bit timid, and then um, I was just playing soccer, kicking the ball around. And every time I went to go play a rugby league game, I would I'd get scared and run off and, and grab mum's leg like little kids do. And then it took me to about seven years old where I played my first game uh, for West Illawarra. Um, all my mates played that I went to school with and grew up with, and who were best mates with my mum and my stepdad at the time and they just said come down and train and I was just running around them I was a bit quicker I was a bit quicker at that point I was um, just running around them having fun and, and things like that and mind you I was a mad rooster supporter like obviously my dad had played and stuff so I'd love watching the game and, and doing it but I just couldn't build up the courage to actually play and um, I went to a like a like a round robin little tournament um, under sevens West Illawarra um, Dapdo Canaries there was a few teams playing there and I finally took the leap and played, and as soon as I touched the ball, I just, I just wanted. That's what I knew. I wanted to do that, um, and then from then on, I, I stayed at West my whole junior career um, until I was, until I was 15. Then I went over to to Berkeley Eagles and played with um, my mate Jack Bird. We won, we won a comp there, and then went to another team, Albion Park Eagles. Won, won another couple of comps there, and then went back to West. And um, Paul McGregor was actually the um, first grade coach. So um, I went to make my first grade debut for West Illawarra the same week I got called into the under-20s Dragons team. So I uh, would have loved to have said I played first grade for my, um, well, from I'll call it my hometown team, West Illawarra, but instead Justin Holbrook called me in that same week to play under-20s as a 17-year-old at the Dragons and um, sort of kicked on and, and the rest is history from there, really. Mate, with all due respect to the under-20s, Combo, I think playing uh, country first grade would have been a little bit scarier just quietly. 
Definitely, mate. Um, it was something I was really looking forward to. Obviously, I hold Mary in high regard. I've known him for for a long time. Um, he's a he's a Wollongong boy, obviously, and um, I would I would have loved to get my chance of playing first grade. I played two games at reserve grade the the weeks leading up to that after the SG ball season. And, um, you know, Justin Holbrook called me up and, and wanted me to play fullback in the other twenties. So um, I spent a fair bit of time at number one back then. As I said, I was a, I was a lot lighter and a little bit quicker, but. Um, hopefully one day I'll get the chance to go back and play first grade for West. That, that's something I've always thought about doing. And as you said, it's a, it's a pretty tough comp and um, they're a very good team too. So, um, yeah, look, I, it sort of worked out fortunate enough for me to play in the under-20s and then obviously play pretty good footy and, and have a few contract offers on the table. And as a kid, that's always pretty cool and exciting. Mate, you obviously mentioned your old man there. Now, obviously a very versatile footballer himself and played – you know, 240-odd first-grade games for the Roosters in the 70s and the 80s. I mean, playing that many games back then, it's almost unheard of. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, he was the first person at the Roosters to play 200 games too. And then um, I listened to uh, Rico do a podcast not long ago, actually, and um, he said the day that he broke Dad's record at the Roosters, Dad was filthy. So that's <laughs> that's quite that, that's quite funny, actually. But um, I didn't really know too much about Dad's... Um, career until I got a little bit older I knew as a kid he played a bit and and you didn't I didn't really understand how good of a player or what he had really achieved until um I got to about 16 17 I started really becoming a student at the game and, and really understanding the history of the game and stuff like that too so um yeah it's pretty cool that that he's that he's achieved all that and, and he had his career and obviously got the last name and things like that but it's also been pretty cool to step out of that shadow and sort of make my own name and, and have my own career which is which is still ongoing of course and, and hopefully for a few more years yet mate is he uh is he living overseas or was he previously living overseas so i never had too much to do with my dad growing up um, he moved to america when i was uh i can't remember the exact age i'm going to say seven uh, moved to america and then moved back when i was 18 so 11 years he was in the states um met his now now wife over there at the time and I think he I think he enjoyed it but he actually moved back a couple of weeks before I made my debut at the Roosters against Souths and um, I didn't even know he was going to be in the game eh? and um, the Roosters before the game used to do this like on field I don't know if they still do it on field thing where they get like an ex-player to come and talk to like Roosters TV on the field in front of the crowd and that and I remember running out to warm up and, and, and there he is just sitting there talking to the people that were running that so it was kind of a weird moment to, to like see him, see him there at the game because I wasn't expecting that too and Obviously, being a Hastings, playing for the Roosters' first game, it, it all sort of culminated in a pretty big night. We obviously won the minor premiership that night too. So, it was all weird, mate. But, um, yeah, he lived in America for, for 11 or 12 years. So, didn't really have too much to do with him growing up. My mum did all the did all the hard work in terms of my rugby league. Obviously, generally in life, she did all that as well. But um, in terms of rugby league, she taught me sort of everything I know. Now, mate, I remember watching you coming through Howard Matt's SG Ball playing for the Dragons and... I mean, as far as prospects go, and I guess the way that they refer to it in the NFL and whatnot, you sort of were a couldn't miss sort of talent. You were just like you were just so far far more advanced than the other halves you were playing against. I mean, you, you must have been super confident. Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, you know, I had a lot of people um, saying that to me at the same time, which probably wasn't good for me. Um, I suppose it's always nice hearing compliments and things like that, but at, at that young age. Now that I'm about to turn 25, you sort of wish that people didn't give you as much confidence within yourself. I think um, 
that sort of let me down as I got older, as we'll probably talk about. But I mean, every time I stepped on the field, I believed in, in my ability. Um, you know, I, I knew that I was probably working a little bit harder than a lot of other kids my age. I sort of put the party scene to the back door and I parked myself on the lounge every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday and watched every every game of the NRL. And as I said to you, from seven years old, I knew that's what I wanted to do as a career. I didn't care about school. I didn't care about, like I said to you, the party scene or anything like that. All I wanted to do was play rugby league at the highest level possible. And um, for me, I was lucky enough to have a lot of good mates growing up down on the South Coast. And um, they spent a lot of time with me on the street, just kicking the footy around, like practicing, doing different kicks and little things like that too. So I don't know if I was far more advanced in terms of actual ability but I knew that I was working a lot harder than a lot of other people and you know I had my mum and my granddad as as we touched on before pushing me hard every single day making sure I was making the right decisions in terms of my rugby league like my mum would make sure that I'm you know out there training she made sure I had the best of everything Um, she was my granddad would make me run in the morning before school Um, just little things like that that you know I look back on and I'm really grateful for because it it taught me hard work and discipline and um, it sort of uh, put me in the right direction to, to be successful. Mate, the number one thing that stood out for me watching you as a 15, 16-year-old, and I guess it's only really you and Ash Taylor that I could uh, put in this same basket, your kicking game was just so far ahead of all the other halves. That was the huge difference for me. Mate, is that countless hours kicking the ball around the streets? And, you know, how many hours were going into your kicking each and every week? Like, obviously, as a kid um, from... Obviously, you don't practice your, your kicking game as such at seven and that. But when you get to like a, a teenage sort of year, like th- for me, it was like 12, 13, 14, where I'd go down the park with my stepdad after school when he'd finish work at, we'll say, five o'clock um, and before dinner. If I didn't have uh, um, actual training that day, he would take me down and he would just practice. Um, remember when Joey Johns released that video on, on all the kicking techniques and he actually had a fo- he brought out a football where to hold your hands to practice like a torpedo or floater. Didn't help me. A banana kick and stuff like that. My stepdad just like took me down with this footy and just drilled me, drilled me, drilled me until I until I could kind of get it. And then it was just all about being confident enough to put it in the game. Um, I suppose little things um, became easy to me. Like I have, I've got a naturally big foot, literally like size thirteen. And then just in terms of kicking the ball long, once you can do that, I suppose it, the other stuff comes off the back of it. So learning how to do like nice little grubbers and things like that were probably the harder thing. Kicking the ball downfield and get rid of it was always sort of natural to me. But um, yeah, as you said, Ash Taylor's probably the cream of the crop. I remember in the under-20s, I don't know, I can't remember the exact number, but I think he was like 38 repeat sets in front of the next bloke by the end of the year, which is pretty cool. So um, yeah, it's definitely something I work on and um, I probably lost sight of that. Um, the last couple of years, I, I focused a lot more on getting back to enjoying the game, running the ball a lot more too. So um, it's something that I definitely got to continue to work on. Now, mate, as a young bloke, when you were coming through the Dragon system, you know, you, you're obviously probably the star of that age group. And depending on who you spoke to, the, the you know, the review on you always went the same. Yeah, he's a, he's a really good player. And then there was one of two words. It was either he's really confident or he's really arrogant. How did you deal with yeah. that as a young bloke? Yeah, not great. Um, I suppose like back to the point you just made before where people are like pumping your tires up every day and telling you how good you are it sort of gets stuck in the back of your head and look I don't I still don't think I was headed as such but I definitely had full confidence in what I was able to do and then as a 15 16 year old when you're hearing 
um, people going, oh, you're killing it, or you're doing this and that. It's probably not healthy for the kid. Like, obviously, you don't want to put people down and, and say this, that, or the other, but you need people in your corner that are that have honest chats with you and, and have these things where they sort of make you not feel you're as good as what you are almost to, to bring you back down to earth. And I suppose for me that I still get that to this day um, off some people, mate, just from the way you play, the way you, you carry yourself and the way that um, – you go about your business as I said like some people are going to read you the wrong way that from people that have never met me before obviously it's sort of just like a narrative that's always been there so for me it's working hard to try and get rid of that um, I suppose if you talk to the teammates that I played with over in England and they tell you how hard I work every week and then when I go on a rugby league field I'm nothing but just dedicated to the cause I think that'll give you a completely different complexion to what someone else will, from the public might say so I know that I'm never going to please everyone, but at the same time, as a kid, that was really hard to deal with because you didn't want to be known for that. You just wanted to be known for being a good rugby league player. So um, it's something I struggled with up until maybe two years ago, mate, until I flew to England and got on that plane and had a bit of a self-reflection sort of time. But, yeah, it's definitely hard to, to hear as a teenage kid, that's for sure. Mate, uh, obviously, as a teenage kid, you just mentioned, who was the first person that you respected that had that hard conversation with you that essentially said you need to pull your head in? Like, Do you, do you remember that moment? Yeah, my mum my mum always had that conversation with me, but at the same time, my mum would always have my back at the same mm. as well. So it was kind of a conflict of interest for mum because being a single mother, she'd always have that hard conversation with me and, you know, tell me to, I don't know, I'm not going to swear, but F and pull my head in or you weren't good enough or your attitude was off or, or this or that. And she always had that hard conversation with me and she always kept me in line. But at the same time, if she heard someone else say it, the mum, she'd have that mother instincts that had my back. So it was like a, it was hard for me to sort of like go, well, is she saying this because I need to hear it or is she saying it because other people are saying the opposite? But probably my granddad, mate, to be honest. Um, uh, I remember having, I used to blow up at the ref all the time as a kid. And um, I remember he pulled me to the side one day and, we had a big falling out over it. And um, when I got back in the car and I drove home with mum and I was sitting in the back seat, I, I had time to reflect on what that conversation was actually all about. And um, that definitely changed my view on how I wanted to be viewed and how I wanted to play the game and, and what I wanted to stand for as well. So mum and granddad, again, they're the two that were most pre present in my life and the two I have the most respect for. So, um, yeah, they're certainly two people that um, – definitely held me into line but then when I got older um, it took me to get dropped to to Blacktown and, and Stephen Hales was was the one guy that literally put his arm around me and um, last two and a half years of good form and, and being happy and, and playing at the highest level I, I sort of put down to, to Halesy for putting the time and effort into me at Blacktown and not just listening to everyone else and what was going on with the situation he got to know me on a deep and personal level and um, he's there for me still to this day too so I'll probably say them three um, that have that have really got my respect and people that I actually genuinely care about. Mate, you're coming through as a teenage prodigy to some extent and then the opportunity to go to the Roosters comes about, obviously, to father to follow in your father's footsteps to some extent. How did that arise? I was coming off contract um, the same year that I was I was playing under 20s as a 17-year-old. Um, I was playing fullback and a little bit of halfback at the Dragons and I was going quite well. Um, our team, our team was full of talent. I think, off the top of my head, we had Charlie Runciman, Adam Fanua Blake, Ewan Aiken, Jack Bird. Um, I don't want to miss anyone out here. Um, we're going back a few years now. Adam Clune was in the squad. Drew Hutchison. And I've so said it a few times on my podcast, but Jack Bird at that age, 
You put Jack Bird yeah, into never. any team, they're super. It's a superstar side at that age. Jack, Jack's the best. Jack's the best kid I've ever seen ever yep. in my life. Um, I know there's that gets thrown around a fair bit, but if you talk about skill, toughness, leadership, Jack, Jack's the best I've ever seen. Still, oh, you couldn't put a price on what Jack brought to your team. And for someone that could play fullbacks and a halfback, back row, loose. He could probably play a prop if he wanted to. He was that tough. Had he the was best the best footballer technique. on the field, regardless of who else was on it. It was crazy. Didn't matter. Yeah, didn't didn't matter. Did not matter at all. And um, so, like, I was playing with people like that in the under twenties. So Jack was eighteen, I was seventeen, and then I remember um, it's the first time, obviously, it ever happened to me. Um, my manager Sammy rang me up and just said, "Oh, we need to have a meeting um, about your future." Um, I didn't even realize I was off contract with the Dragons. I didn't even really know I had a contract. I thought it was just like an agreement. Didn't really know how it all worked. And then I had um, three or four teams that were quite interested. Um, Dragons wanted to keep me. Um, Roosters were there, obviously. Newcastle and there was and the North Queensland Cowboys actually flew up to the Cowboys to um, to check out the facilities and stuff like that. And and I, I met JT for the first time ever. Like I'm actually, I've got his book here, bro. Like I'm actually reading it in, in, in quarantine, funny enough. But um, like he's someone that like I could have got the chance to play alongside, and that was a massive draw to to want to go up there and, and check it all out too. And um, we just thought at that that age, my mum wasn't going to move. I had two young sisters, and I would have been on my own. So we thought that was pretty pretty far to to go as a young kid. So we sort of crossed them off, and then um sort of down to Newcastle Roosters Dragons and then um, again uh, I know it's not that far away but mum didn't really want me going too far away from home so it ended up boiling down to the Dragons and Roosters and as funny as it sounds the quicker pathway to, to first grade I, I thought for myself was actually at the Roosters they had um, Jimmy and Piercy as their front line two halves and then they had Daniel Mortimer in that utility role but besides that I thought there was a pathway for me to one improve as a footballer learning under the two origin halves and, and three that segue to the to first grade. So, um, yeah, I sat down at a local cafe in Wollongong with my manager and we weighed up our options. I, I went up to Sydney and met Robbo and the coaching staff and um, a few of the lads and, yeah, made my decision from there a few weeks later and, and signed on with the Chooks. Now, mate, obviously when you go up and meet Trent Robinson, I assume this is 2013, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so – so, you know, Trent Robinson, he's not known as the man he is now. This is his first year as a yeah. NRL coach. He, he later does go on to win the premiership at the end of the season. But what were your first impressions of Trent Robinson? Because obviously, you know, he wasn't a guy standing there with three, you know, premiership winning teams behind him. Yeah. He was another NRL coach. How did you find him? Smart, articulate. Um, his football knowledge is the, the best I've ever been around still to this day. You know, I've been coached by a fair few good coaches, but the way Robbo broke down a game of rugby league was like I'd never heard it before. Um, and after I spoke to him about rugby league, I just knew that he, he just knew the game inside and out. And then obviously, um, Sammy, my manager, had heard great things about what Robbo did in France with Catalan Dragons and, and Toulouse. And, and obviously being at the Roosters before that as an assistant coach. So he did have runs on the board and, and he had people that had great reviews about him. But once I had that 20 minute conversation about where he wanted me to go as a rugby league player and how he saw the game and, and the team and, and people that they had at the club, um, it was a no brainer to go there and, and try and improve as a player. But after I got the couple of years there under Robbo, uh, yeah, mate, he's just so smart and switched on 
not only offensively, defensively, and just everything else around the game. He um, he's definitely the smartest coach we've ever had. How did Robbo change Jackson Hastings as a footballer? It made me a lot tougher, that's for sure. Um, you know, the Roosters. He, he that first year that I was there in preseason, I was seventeen, turning eighteen. Well, I turned eighteen um, in the preseason, and he just chucked me in the middle and said, "You're going to be wrestling with the uh, the forwards. Um, you're going to be doing a lot at nine and just made me tackle. Um, as a kid, I sort of had it all my own way offensively, and and if I wanted to, I'd just go defend in the centres and and things like that and have a rest till we got the ball back. Um, and I think he sort of noticed that in me and, and made sure I, I put my head where I didn't want to. And, and him and Fitzy really drove the defensive side of the game um, for me. And, you know, I'm very thankful for that because now I can make that switch to hooker if I wanted to and, and things along those lines because of Fitzy and Robbo. They instilled that toughness and, and that desire and that, and that hunger to, to want to defend, not just do it. Um, for a lot of people, it's just like a, like oh, you sort of got to do it because you play, but they make you want to do it. And I think that's why the Roosters are so successful. Um, they're the best defensive team in the comp nearly every year, them in Melbourne. And um, there's no wonder those with the two coaches at the helm. So, you know, I appreciate Robbo for for putting a lot of time and effort into me in terms of my defence, and um, I respect him a lot for that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mate, tell me about that first preseason in 2014. Obviously, this Roosters team, they just won the premiership. They're going for back-to-back for the first time in 20, 30 years, whatever it might be. And I imagine for the first time in your career, you're playing in a team that doesn't need you. You need them. Tell me about that preseason. Definitely. I think that's the best way to put it. They didn't need me there at all. Um, I was just another number. I was a a squatty, really. And that was a World Cup year, too. So, mate, half the three quarters of the team wasn't even there until after Christmas. So... I just remember um, turning up and we were just training at, I forgot what school it was, but we are going to a school to do to do our running sessions and field sessions. And I remember I'd never wrestled before ever in my life and we are going to um, a little wrestling gym in um, Paddington, I think it was, or Surrey Hills, Surrey Hills it was. And um, we were in there for an hour and a half, mate, and I'm just getting thrown around, like getting bashed around. And at times I thought, I, I don't know if I can do this for a whole preseason. Eh? Like you're waking up, your body's aching and it just sort of taught you discipline. Obviously waking up at a very early hour to make sure you're training on time. Taught me how to eat correctly. Um, I was watching people around me, what they were doing and, you know, um, just how hard people work there at the place and it made me really want to do that. But then when all the boys come back off um, international duties, that's when it really intensified and that's when you really understood that you know, if you don't train um, to their standard or you're not up to their standard, one, they're going to spray you and two, you're going to be kicked out the back door pretty easy. I, I saw, obviously, I ended up being one of them people, but I saw a lot of people leave before me that probably had the potential to play first grade, but because their attitude wasn't there or they didn't train to the standards of what the Roosters uphold, um, they sort of just got let go. And, um, you know, I sort of found that, that uh, I found that out at the back end of my stay there as well. Mate, obviously, you've now arrived at the Roosters. You're into your pre-season. Um now I want to know your last name Hastings. To like, was it 
did it help you get to that point or was it a bit of a hindrance as you were coming through? I mean, a lot of people think that sons of NRL players, they've got it easy because they've got the name. Personally, I I doubt it makes it easy. I I would guess it almost makes it harder. How would you describe it? It's a pain in the ass, to be honest. Um, You know, I've heard it all, mate, like in terms of I only made it because of my dad. I'm only here because I'm Kevin's son. You know, um, if your dad didn't do it. but like I didn't grow up with my dad I grew up with my mum like mm. I um, my dad had nothing to do with my, my football career until I made first grade like you know what I mean like he didn't teach me how to kick catch pass or it probably or makes those or, comments but, even harder to hear wouldn't it yeah that, yeah it used to make my mum upset and that used to upset me because I know how much time and effort and she put into me like my mum put so many hours that she didn't need to into me becoming a better footballer so I could achieve my dreams but then when I got to the Roosters and I'm walking around and his face is painted all over the walls and like Hastings is across like the boardroom and shit. I'm like, fucking hell. Um, it's going to be a lot to live up to this. And um, He's, no, he's, um, he's like, got a nah. grandstand named after him at the SFS, doesn't he? Before it was knocked down. Yeah. 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 Had all, so like had all that sort of stuff, man. Made the team of the century. And like when you go into the video room, there's a massive um, big, mural painting of the team of the century and like i'd walk in i'd see that every day so without there without like even seeing that there was pressure but then when you see that there was pressure but i was lucky i had pierce to lean on obviously uh wayne pierce one of the greatest players to ever live and 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 mitchell's his son and pierce went through that as a kid and and still cops it to this day so i learned a lot of just how he handled the pressure and um, how he handled the media and just things like that too. But yeah, it's definitely a hindrance. I think if you ask anyone in the NRL that's dad has been involved in the game at a high level, um, yeah, it's really hard, mate. It really is. But at the same time, you've just got to tell yourself that, well, for me, this is what works. Like I just kept telling myself that, you know, my dad's had his time. I'm Jackson and, and I can only be me and, and play the way I play. We're completely different. My dad was five foot, five foot 10 or something. I'm, I'm six one. Um, my dad was a mad defender. He used to smash blokes. I'm I'm a solid defender. I'd say I don't really drill people or anything like that. But I'm a lot more skillful and creative with the ball. So we're completely different players and completely different athletes at the same time. So I just knew that um, in the back of my mind we're completely different and I'm my own person. I just um, kept that the main thing inside my head, and that's what sort of got me through it. Mate, it must have been good to have Piercy alongside you. Obviously, you mentioned the son of Wayne Pierce. Uh, you know, he—I'm not sure if there's anyone in rugby league history that's copped more shit than Mitchell Pierce. And I mean, having a father in rugby league as well, he had a really tough gig. And mate, I, I, yeah. I find it amazing Mitchell Pierce has turned out to be the player he has, considering everything he's had to overcome. The utmost respect for him. Um, you know, everything that got uh, has been thrown his way is handled with a smile, Piercy. There was never one day that he walked into training and looked rattled, looked upset, looked down on himself, whether he'd played great, whether he'd played poorly, whether he'd been in the news for the, whatever reason. He's just one of them genuine people that just love the game. He's, his attitude and, and love for it's infectious, mate. You know, I was so appreciative of my time with him and, and getting to know him as a person. I think we'll, um, you know, one thing Robbo did say, at the same age, we we're very much like alike, just footy nerds that are a bit loose that just love the game and just wanted to have a good time on and off the field and dedicated. And, you know, like I was there for some of the some of the drama that happened and the way he handled it, it's a credit to himself and to, to end up being club captain, um, to right the wrongs in origin and go win that origin series. I couldn't have been, couldn't have been happier for a bloke, mate. Like someone that's, as you said, just being hammered from day one to be able to win comps, win origin series, be captain of 
some of the most famous clubs in the game. Um, it's a full credit to him, mate, and it's good to see him still thriving up there at Newcastle and, and still playing some great football as well. And I still think great football's ahead of him. You know, he's the hardest trainer always. Well, he always was at the Roosters. He was the hardest trainer. He used to win all the fitness drills. He used to compete on everything. You know, he's not he's not the fastest, but he'd just compete on every single thing. And I think he's a um, a true inspiration for kids with like that want to that want to be a good halfback first and foremost. But kids that have a lot of pressure and have a have a famous dad or or have people doubting them too. So um, yeah, full credit to Drew. He's um, he's an inspiration to a lot of people and really proud. I've got to say I've played alongside him and and, and get to know him. Mate, you just mentioned Mitchell Pearce there as being a good halfback. Now, I would say, and we're sort of jumping into the future a little bit here, but I would say when you left Australia, you're a good footballer. I wouldn't say you're a good halfback yet. Do you think you've developed yep. into a good halfback? Because there's a big difference, isn't there? A massive difference. And at the time, I probably didn't understand that either. Like, I turned I turned myself into a bit of a just catch pass, do your best sort of guy. Didn't really look to create for others. I'd give the ball for others to sort of create for me. Um and at the end of the day in the NRL, that doesn't work, mate. You see what Piercy does well. And the thing I admire about him is little things that I got to see at training and things like that. Then now I'm implementing in England, which I should have implemented when I was actually playing in Australia. The way he moves on the pass to beat to beat A defender, to get straight to B defender, um, to either play square and give the ball to Kalen or play a two pass to Kalen. Um, the way he squares defenders up, obviously moving on the ball again to come back off his big left foot. Um, his kicking game, his composure... Um, his leadership, little things like that that I never really understood or cared about. I just wanted to go out there. And I think the thing with the the era I grew up in or the era still is today, it's social media, isn't it? So everything that is a highlight as such ends up on Instagram, Twitter. And I probably got, a call, I probably got caught up in a bit of that world that wanted to be that guy that was on those highlights where the best halfbacks to, to play the game that I've got to be lucky to see was – Cronk and Thurston and Lockyard that they weren't highlight real players they were genuine leaders genuine halfbacks and but at the end of the day they were game winners so I think getting the balance right between being that off the cuff footballer and being that halfback that steers a ship was something that I got wrong completely wrong in Australia and something that I'm definitely work on working hard on to get right in um, England I've got a I've got a pretty good half in himself Tommy Lillawai who has sort of taken me under his he's got to be 45 by now doesn't he 62. I think he's played about. Like he's done some yards. Games. Yeah, mate. He's um he's the toughest player I've ever played with. Tommy, I've got the utmost respect for him. At, at 34, I think he is maybe 35. Doesn't miss a training session. Does every single session. Doesn't miss a game. And just, mate, for a bloke that small to hit that hard, it's ridiculous. But the way that he's helped me develop into a pretty good halfback in England. Um, you know, I can't be more thankful for under him playing alongside him, but obviously having Lammy and Ian Watson as coaches as well over in England, two former halfbacks. Um, it's really helped my, my game for sure. But yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head and I've never really thought about it like that. There's a difference between being a good footballer and a good halfback. Um, it's a great analogy and something that I'm actually going to keep in the back of my mind too, because um, I think that's important for young kids growing up that want to be a seven. And people keep saying there's no difference between six and seven. I think there's a massive difference. And um, I think if you separate the, the best sevens in the comp from the ones that people don't really think are, are the best sevens in the comp, I think there's a contrast in styles and the way they approach the game too. So 
I'm actually glad you said that. I'm going to take that on board. Yeah, I'll take a little clip of your contract next time. <laughs> yeah, you're going to fight with my manager for that, mate. <laughs> mate, 2014, round 26, you make your debut. Uh, we've spoken before about the last name, Hastings. If that's not enough build-up, you're playing South Sydney, the arch rivals. What do you remember from that yeah. week? Yeah, um, so I, I was on a train to go to the city um, just to do some shopping, actually. I was with a, with a mate, and um, I got a phone call off um, Robbo, and I thought, fuck what have I done like every phone call I've ever got out of hours I've always got in trouble so I thought what have I done and it's, it's just I, I didn't answer it at first I went nah nah I can't like it'll just rattle me so anyway he rang again straight away and answered and he said oh could you be in my office for 5.30 which was late I was like oh my god like mate I was shaking anyway so I've had to get off this train at the next stop get a train back to where, where I was living, get in my car and go straight in. Anyway, I remember walking in the under 20s of training and um, I walked past him and went upstairs and um, just, he closed the door behind him and, and he sat me down and he said, so um, what have you been doing? And I, um, I was nervous, mate. My, my lips were going, I was, like, oh, I was going shopping. Like, he's like, no, like, what have you, like, just talking to me about life. Anyway, he just said, um, we play Friday night so it's a massive game and I went yeah mate yeah, it'll be massive obviously for the minor premiership and stuff and he goes yeah yeah the boys really look like he was just doing all this small talk with me and I didn't know where it was going I thought he was just like literally getting me in to talk about how they're preparing and um, anyway he just goes oh how would you like to play I, I, I almost like I just laughed like <laughs> yeah and he goes well um, I'm just going to stick you on the bench there um, come on hooker after about 25 minutes man nearly fell over like fell off my chair I couldn't believe it. Like I'd been in a bit of trouble um, at the start of that year, just from being, as, as we spoke about, being a kid and being a bit of an idiot. But like to come full circle and for him to gain the trust in me to to play first grade in such a massive game too, like against obviously the Rabbitohs, packed house, round twenty six for the minor premiership. I was like, oh, thank you so much. I remember, um, like I went to give him a hug and like ended up being a handshake. It was kind of really <laughs> awkward, and I just ran outside. Um, just had a moment in my car to myself, like, as I said, from a seven-year-old kid, too scared to play, to making that my dream and making that what I wanted to do, to be able to sit in my car three days before game and, like, have a tear and have a moment, um, ring my mum and, and hear her, like, just go, you better run back inside and get 40 tickets. And, like, it was just a whirlwind of emotions, mate. And then um, dealing with tickets, dealing with text messages, but then at the same time, only telling limited people. Um, I remember the last thing he said to me was, make sure this doesn't get out. And when Robbo says something like that, you better make sure you do it. Otherwise, you're going to be in a bit of um, Barney. So that would have been your I, biggest um, test, just quietly. Yeah, I know. So I made sure um, I didn't really... I, said, I just hammered it to my mum. I was like, make sure you only tell family and they don't tell anyone. But on the side, I'm getting all these tickets. Oh, I was a pain in the ass. But I remember I woke up on game day and, I, and my phone was just going off like with good luck messages but the back page of the paper was just a big picture of me and um, there was something about being under pressure uh, with the game I thought far out mate like it's out there now like it's out there for all to see so I sort of just attacked it and embraced it and, and just understood what I was doing and, and went into camp with the boys that day and yeah it was just cool to be around as, as we touched on like their star started side like I just felt so comfortable with the people that I had around me and had so much belief in the team, obviously. And I remember going down for the last meeting in the hotel before the game and listening to the way Robbo addressed the team and stuff. It gives you goosebumps the way he speaks. He's just so um, deliberate with how he talks, doesn't waste a breath or a word. And 
um, just so switched on. And then when we got to the game, I didn't know what to do, mate. I was just walking around, eating snakes and red frogs, didn't know if to get a massage, didn't know when to get strapped. I just didn't know what I was doing. I was like a headless chalk. And then sitting on the bench, I remember like just shaking and we got to an early lead. So I was like, yes, yes, keep scoring, keep scoring. I think it was about 14 or 16 nil when I went on and I remember picking my card up and Sam Burgess had just walked off and um, I was walking past Sammy to, to get like on behind the play to go get in the hooker and um, he goes, you're in, you're in for a long effort for night tonight. And he said some other things to me as well. And, and I went, oh, shit. <laughs> I, went, oh, I went, oh, my God. Like someone like that saying that to you as a kid, you're like, far out. Anyway, I got on there and um, I still remember it like it was yesterday. My first touch, I just picked up and ran and got tackled. And as soon as I got tackled, it just all the nerves went away. And uh, one of the best experiences of, of my career for sure. Um, and then obviously winning a trophy in your, your first ever, ever game, although it wasn't the main one, it's still a bit of silverware and, yeah, you know, just like just the whole build up to the week, the game, after the game, and then my teammates telling me how well I went was just um just capped off such a special moment in my life and my career and something I'll never forget, you know. To say I got to play with Sonny Bill and against Sam Burgess on the same night was um I still get tingles as an eighteen year old kid and then obviously Greg Inglis, Anthony Minicello, like there, there was just like there were so many people that I'd looked up to on that field that night that I was actually involved with. Um yeah, it's crazy, mate. It just brings back such good memories and, and gives me goosebumps and something I'm extremely proud of. Mate, my favourite question to ask is, you know, during your debut, what was the moment that you realised, like, Christ, this is first grade? But I guess Sam Burgess spraying you on the sideline before you got on the field, that would have hit the spot. I don't, I, I don't, I don't even think Sammy would remember that, but that that was um, that was the moment where I, I went, right, you better, you better be ready sort of thing. Like, that was my wake-up moment. But I think my welcome to first grade was... My first ever tackle, I remember that same set of six where I ran. I remember Piercy just punching this low grubber and like, oh, I've just come on, so I'm enthusiastic as anything. And I've sprinted down and GI's fullback and he picked the ball up and we're in like a bit of a V. So I was at the front here and there was two blokes either side of me. And you could see him just scan the line and see me. I went, oh, far out, there we go. He just picked it up, big bumper bar straight in the neck, sat me on my ass, first tackle in first grade. And I thought, right, this is a bit harder than playing under 20s. And... Um, yeah, from that moment on, I knew I was um, playing with the big boys and knew I had to be on every every time I was involved in the play. Otherwise, you'd get burnt, and, and that's what happens in the NRL. Mate, it's a pretty crowded club of blokes that have been put on their ass by GI just quietly. I know, there's, there's probably more blokes that are in that club than haven't been, isn't there? So, <laughs> I mean, um, you know, I, I, I laugh at it now, and like the fact that he's going over to England and get to play against him again and coming out of retirement. So, mate, rugby league is just full of good stories, and... Um, yeah, I suppose that was definitely my welcome to first grade moment for sure. Mate, uh, obviously, you, you, you just mentioned so many names are in that game, but the one that stood out for me was Sonny Bill Williams. You obviously got to play with him, and I mean, for you, you know, we're around the same age, and I just remember Sonny Bill coming through. He was playing footy all over the world. He was just – he was bigger yeah. than any game he was in, essentially. What was it like the yeah. first time you met Sonny? What did he teach you? You know, what sort of a bloke was he like? Um, yeah, just – he had an aura, mate. Like, just he, – he, he was just so down to earth, just so normal and just – but, like, what separated Sonny from everyone was he had that aura about him. Also trained harder than everyone else. Like, he put in the time not only with his body, not only on the field, like massage, ice bath, what he ate, being punctual, never being late. Um, the way he interacted with people, spoke to people. Everything he'd done was at the highest of class and quality. And, obviously, Sonny had – 
his moments as a as a kid and 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 coming through and and had moments where people probably looked at him a bit differently to what they look at him now. But for him to be able to turn his whole life around and turn into the role model he is today is a full credit to him. And I just remembered not trying to spend time with him in terms of like going and having coffee with him, but just trying to like listening to little things that he'd talk, talk about the way he trained or the way he ate or how he would, you know, market himself or, or just do little things like that, that, that everyone wants to be like, but only Sonny Bill can. And then I didn't realize how big he was till a couple of years ago when he became a global Adidas like endorsement athlete and you look at some of them around the world some of them are playing in the NBA some of them are in the NFL and then we've got Sonny Bill Williams a rugby league player that's that's one of them he's literally a larger than life athlete and and someone the game needs to try and keep in the game I think if we can obviously what he's done for not only the Roosters and Bulldogs and but then his rugby career then his boxing career mate he's just had one of these lives that people could only dream about and um, to say I've played alongside him and you know, got to know him. And then obviously when he went over to England, he lived not too far from me. So whenever I went to the, the local gym that had a pool and sauna and stuff in it, I'd see Sonny there and he'd go out of his way to shake your hand and ask how you've been, ask how the family is. He's just that kind of bloke, mate. So yeah, just a real honour to know that I've played alongside someone of the calibre of Sonny Bill and, and the career he's had is just second to none. Mate, you win the minor premiership that week. Finals footy starts the week after and you managed to retain your spot on the bench. Was that a bit of a surprise for you? Yeah, mate, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was going on. I just sort of took it day by day and, and hour by hour. And I got a lot of confidence out of the, the one-on-one video review I did with Robbo and Fitzy and, and Jason Taylor at the time in terms of how I was playing. And then um, uh, we played the Panthers on Saturday night at the same ground. And uh, he didn't tell me till the day before the captain's run. On my day off, Robbo, he rang me and said, look, you're going to be in again. Congratulations and all the, all the rest. And... Um, I remember I, I played really well that semi-final. I thought, like, I had some really nice touches. I I made a couple of half breaks, set up uh, Skidzy down a short side on last tackle when uh, Piercy was calling it. And I, I did shit myself because I dummied to him on last and went down the short side and I thought, this better work or I'm going to get absolutely sprayed. And um, that's probably the game where I thought, like, I'm capable of not only just playing but, like, contributing to the team, if you know what I mean. And... Um, we went on to obviously lose that game. I still remember Sowie kicking that field goal that was rank. It was went like that the whole way. And I remember him doing the guns and, and stuff like that. And like, I was just sitting there like, fuck, we just lost. And um, I think if we won that game, we got the week off. Yeah, we got the week off, but we had to go the hard way. And we ended up getting knocked out by South Sydney in that um, game before the grand final of the year. They had won it. But that was probably the game where I, where I believed in myself and believed that my skills could could do a little bit on on the biggest on the biggest stage and um, I took a lot of confidence out of it too but also knowing what it's like to lose I think that's important as well being in such a great side like that winning's great and, and after we won the minor premiership by 30 odd points I thought this is going to be the same every week and to get brought back down to earth by a team that realistically we probably should have beat finishing first and um, we got beat by a good Pampers side so yeah definitely brought brought everything back down to earth and and really realise what it's like to lose as well as win. If you've got any, mate, what was your uh, first memories of your first Mad Monday in first grade? <laughs> Not being able to keep up. <laughs> I thought I thought I could drink until I hung with the big boys, mate. So, yeah, it's different gravy. Um, I've had a, how many have I had now? I've had 
how many years I've been playing. I think I think I've had about six or seven now. So I'm well equipped to it this time this time of year. Um, learning how to pace yourself is important. Um, we had a few kids this year that were a bit like me. They they got a bit edgy on the bus on the way home from Hull. It's a two hour bus ride, and um, they were they were blind, mate. And then I was just giggling, just slowly, obviously disappointed as well because I was part of the game we lost. But then. When it come around to eight o'clock the next morning, there wasn't too many left standing. There was a few snoring, but um, yeah, you just got to learn how to pace yourself and not try and be the big dog too early. But yeah, there's a few stories I'd love to be able to tell you, but I can't. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I realised that I wasn't as good a drinker as I thought I was. That's for sure. Tell me then, uh, who was the big dog on that Mad Monday you were looking at? Going, Christ, how on earth am I going to keep up with this fella? <laughs> Boyd Corner's a great drinker, actually. Um, all those, all those boys that had played for. Uh, seven to ten years in first grade um, were great, mate. Just just good fun as well. Like there was no drama. It was just a great night into a, into a great day, obviously. And um, you know you bond with people. Like obviously when when you have a few beers, you get a bit of emo- <laughs> you get a bit emotional, and um, people start saying all sorts of stuff. So you know it's just great after such a long season that, that you put your body and your emotion through to be able to just you know put the feet up and. And just have a great time with the boys. You you literally bleed and and go to battle with every single week and every single day at training. So, you know, a lot of people are sort of against the Mad Monday, but at the same time, it's our way of letting our hair down and and just having a good time and relaxing with the people that you you spend the most time with. And and that's sort of the way you cut the end of the year off. Then and then you get obviously go off and and have your holidays and stuff like that too. So, yeah, there wasn't one person that I looked at. I, I probably looked at everyone and thought I'm out of my depth here, but. At the same time, I'm, I'm getting to that age where I've, I've got to start to set the ex- example. Next Tuesday, 6am, we will have the next part of this interview with Jackson Hastings. In part two, we touch on his move to Manly. We talk about what it was like when he first arrived and, of course, how it all went down there. It wasn't overly pretty. We talk about his relationship with Daly Cherry Evans. We also talk about his relationship with the with the coach at the time, Trent Barrett. We then talk about his move to England, and this is where... One of the most incredible rugby league stories you will ever hear begins. And I'm not going to give too much away, but Jackson Hastings moves over there essentially because no one wanted him here. He goes on to win the Man of Steel in 18 months' time, which is the Dahlia medal equivalent in England. It's an incredible story of football, but also growth as a man. He's done so much over the last few years, Jackson Hastings. It really will blow you away. And the loyalty that he showed over there... If you would have told me that 16-year-old Jackson Hastings, the kid that I was watching, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago would have done what he's done, I would have laughed at you. It's a cracking story. Can't wait to bring it to you next Tuesday.